I'm not afraid, even though it may be a setback and someone will say, I'm not afraid of someone saying no to me. I'd rather have a no than an unanswered email. Hey, you guys, that's the voice of Laura Jade. She's an award-winning fashion photographer. And regardless of whether you are an artist or just entrepreneur, this is a great episode to stay tuned and listen to. Uh, she covers the art of the hustle, how she goes about her business, how she overcomes failures, how she takes steps through being really insecure to finding a place of confidence, and also some really cool things she does to inject excitement in the midst of the hustle because it can be a grind sometimes. It can be hard. So I really encourage you to stay tuned. And by the way, if you have yet to subscribe and leave a, a rating for this podcast, please do. Every time I get a review, or not only do I read those personally, but it boosts me in the ranks and it allows more people to find me and allows more people to hear the message that I'm sharing. And that's something I get excited about. Appreciate you. If you're like me, you're an artist and entrepreneur. You've got big ideas, unique skills and services that frankly, no one else can offer the way you do. Yet you're probably still asking yourself these questions. How do you make money yet still have time to create as an artist? How do I run a business if my mind doesn't necessarily think that way? And how can I create a future that isn't dependent on me trading my time for money? Those are the questions we ask ourselves, and this podcast will answer them. My name is Nathan Freitas, and this is the Creative Entrepreneur Blueprint. Follow me as I demystify running a profitable creative business and empower thousands of other creative entrepreneurs like you to make money doing what they're meant to do and impact the world in the process. Let's rock. What's up, folks? Hey, it's Nathan here. I am. Uh, I'm really excited about this episode. I've got a woman on the other end of this Zoom meeting, Lara Jade. Uh, if you have not heard of her, she is phenomenal. So she is a fashion photographer known around the world. Um, she's, she's shot for Air France, Avon, Mary Kay, Blue Nile. She's been published in Vogue, Harper's Bazaar, <laughs> Modern Luxury, Stella Magazine, Town & Country UK. Um, outside of being an amazing photographer, one of the things that really attracted me to her is her, her view of business. Um, she's launched two educational series. One's called The Fashion Series, and the other one is The Business of Fashion. So um, she's a badass, and I'm excited to, to, to share the time with you. Laura, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. And I'm always going to demand being introduced as a badass from now on. <laughs> My celebrity, de celebrity demand will be that. <laughs> yeah. Do your de demands also include only um, green M&Ms? Only green M&Ms. Um, no, orange Skittles. Um, and maybe some chocolate. Orange Those Skittles. Those are the two things. Yeah. I don't know why. Or orange Skittles are really good. Do they actually taste different than the other Skittles? They do. They I do, don't know so. what it is, but they do. Huh. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, welcome. We're going we're gonna to jump in. I, we chatted a little bit prior to this, and I think one of the things, this, is, this episode is not, for anyone listening, this is not, um, you don't have to be a fashion photographer to find value from this. This is about the hustle. If you're an artist and you're, you're trading your time for money, Lara is an amazing person to learn from, um, and uh, I just I want to I want to dig in and, and the, the, what I'm thinking we'll cover here 
is we'll talk a little bit about the hustle and, and, and the challenges that she's had to overcome to get where she is today. We'll talk a little bit about how she's transitioned into actually coaching and teaching other folks through these series that I just mentioned. Um, and I think that would be a wonderful way to plan this episode. So with that, let's, um, let's jump in. So you've been, you've been shooting for how long? 16 years now. And when I say that, you probably all imagine me as an old lady with gray hair sitting here with a camera. But I just turned <laughs> but I just turned 30. And I feel like every time I say, I've been doing this for 16 years, I think people have this like weird thing of what I actually look like. But um, unfortunately, I look younger than I am, which yeah. doesn't always work in my favor because I look like a child with a camera. But... <laughs> <laughs> But yes, I've been doing it a long time and I still love what I, what I do. So that means a lot, right? For sure. Yeah. You seem like you're, I mean, you, the amount of content that you're creating tells me that you love what you do. Yes. It energizes you. Yeah. So you, you just brought up a, an important topic and I think that's a good place to start or start when we talk about hustle. Um, you had mentioned that some of the challenges you faced was being young and being female in this industry. Talk to me about that. Like how, what, maybe some examples of, or a time when that was an issue. Yeah. So I started at 14 and um, I feel like it was really hard to get taken seriously. Like if I go to meetings um, a little later on. So when I started my business was when I was 17, which is when I was actively doing a lot of meetings. So I'd say still then I'm, I'm young. I'm essentially still a teenager. I'm going to see a lot of art directors, art buyers, editors. I'm a little clueless as to what each of those people do. But at the same time, I still have knowledge about the technical side of the industry. And my work is published. I'm working with some kind of commercial clients at this point. And I remember in some of the initial meetings I was doing, um, people would say to me, you know, we're going to follow along. You're still green. We're going to follow where your career is going. Um, and I get people that would say, you know, we want to feature your work in art galleries, but we're going to put your work in like the affordable art fair, not a main art fair. And, you know, certain things like that were, would kind of put me off in a way because there was a lot of my male peers, photographer friends of mine who were actually working in the commercial industry and very successful at a young age. And it felt like they were getting these opportunities. I was at the same skill level as them, but I was always turned back at, oh, you can just do this. So, oh, you can just do a small portrait in the magazine, not a whole feature. And I think it took about... I'd say even five years ago was when I, that stopped happening to me. And, you know, we always talk about setbacks in our career, but I, I do think that that had a lot to do with the fact that I was female. Perhaps I wasn't trusted in an industry that was like male dominated. And the great thing about now is that I see so many female photographers mm -hmm. kind of at the forefront of the fashion photography industry. And it makes me so happy to see, and, and young talent. You know, there was one artist recently that shot a Vogue cover at a very young age, an American Vogue cover, which I thought was incredible. Um, and, How young? you know, who is this? 
Um, we would have to post him after. It was a while back. There's so okay. many names going through my head, but yeah. I would have a look. If you just look up the article, there was a young photographer that um, photographed um, a talent for a cover. And these are just, that's just one example of, of many, many stories I hear now where it's like, you know, people are celebrating young talent and mm. people are celebrating diversity and women. And, you know, I think that's such a great thing and something that I try and showcase in front of my lens too. Like it doesn't matter how popular a model is. It doesn't matter what they look like, who they are. I want to champion different, you know, people in front of my lens. So as that's kind of grown in the industry, it's also my job as a photographer to be a part of that conversation as well. What, what, what were the things that you did though? So if you weren't getting that visibility that you wanted, compared to your peers. Mm -hmm. Talk to me a little bit about the hustle. You know, what were the, the specific things that you did to get noticed, to continue to build your brand and your success? I just wouldn't leave people alone. <laughs> I would, I still do it. I still do the same thing. I knock on as many doors as I can until one person out there trust what I do and believes in me. And right. I think it always comes from a place of belief. Like I've emailed people with a span of one year, I may email them and they'll say, well, if you don't work with these said fashion editors, we won't work with you. Mm -hmm. Or if you're not working with these clients, we won't work with you. Two years later down the line, I don't think, oh, I'm not right for them. I think, well, what has changed between now and then? Well, my work's right. improved and I believe in myself and my work. So why not go back to that person and say, hey, here's some new work you want to meet for a coffee? And I think that persistence has always been something that has helped me. Um, I'm not afraid, even though it may be a setback and someone will say, I'm not afraid of someone saying no to me. I'd rather have a no than an unanswered email. And that is the way I always see it. Okay. It might not be the right timing. I might not be the right fit at that point, but what happens if that brand or website goes for a refresh and they're looking for young talent? Mm -hmm. What happens, you know, if suddenly there becomes a placement? So 80% of the opportunities that I've received as a photographer is because I've gone after them. It isn't because I've sat back and waited for that work to come to me. It's because I've specifically put on my list these are the clients I want to work with. This is how I'm going to reach out to them. And I'm going to be persistent for the next few years on making sure that they are aware of who I am in the industry. doesn't Love matter it. if I'm good enough right now, or it doesn't matter, you know, if I may not be a hundred percent of the right fit right now, what matters is that they know of my name in the industry and that I'm, you know, perhaps top of mind when the next brief comes up. What are the things you do though? Because I would imagine, correct me if I'm wrong, most people would be really hesitant to do that. There's that whole thing, it's called imposter syndrome, mm -hmm. where you think, I'm not good enough. I don't have enough experience. I have no right. right? Little, I've heard people say, I don't have any right emailing them. Like, how did, what are the things that you've done to push through that to feel confident enough to email these folks or call them or have coffee? Well, I think it becomes it comes from a place of having enough confidence in your work and enough experience. So I know I have the experience. I'm confident with the work I produce. I've been doing it for 16 years. Yes. There's some times where I may sit down and be like, Ooh, like I feel like I'm not ready to email that person. Is my work not right for them? But I'll do it anyway, because I've had a lot of success in that. 
like, you know what, I'll email someone who's quite known in the industry and I'll get a positive, positive response back. Those positive responses fuel my interest and keep going after more. And I think, you know, it's crazy to think that so many people suffer from imposter syndrome and, you know, people can look at my work or look at many photographers out there they admire and say, you know, it's okay for her. She's working with this, this and this client. She hasn't had to go through any setbacks. She's had it easy. And I'm sure some people out there think that, but I think, again, it just comes down to having persistence, somewhat patience, because you have to have patience in between waiting. You can't bombard clients every week and just keep shooting because I think the one thing is people let those setbacks kind of stop them from creating and you know it happens to me you know this month I lost all of my options on jobs and I'll admit that I had some great options I've had one successful job this month the month before that I had five jobs and I think part of this job is riding that roller coaster yes when those options all ended I was sad about it I was annoyed. I didn't want to put my efforts back into marketing because I thought, what's the point? So I have a day of feeling sorry for myself. Mm -hmm. And then I start creating personal projects. I pick myself up and then get back into email again because I know that it's just riding the roller coaster. And I think it's like any business out there. Wouldn't you agree? Like you're always riding that roller coaster. And often it's the setbacks that allow you to take a step back Mm -hmm. and kind of reflect on your business, reflect on what you've done, perhaps things that you need to change Mm. and that. That is a beautiful way of framing up a setback or what some would call a failure. I'm not saying yours is a failure, but some people use that. It's okay. I have failures sometimes. We all do. Yeah. Yeah. I I love that idea that it it's in that moment. I've had so many of these over the past three years that like the universe said, Hey, Nathan, I'm going to give you all your failures in like a short <laughs> amount of time. Just I'm going to make you feel really crappy this uh-huh. time. But, um, <laughs> but it's been great because it has done, it's created that space yeah. for me to step back and go, hmm, well, I want to keep going at things this way. Do I want to switch it up? And, and I think that the problem is when you are busy, and I've had a lot of months like that this year where I've been too busy to even reflect on anything and I'm running at 100 miles per hour and then I get sick. I'm on flights, I get mm, sick, yes. my immune system is low because I'm stressed. And every job I do, I want to do my best. So I'm feeling anxious. Even though I don't show it, I'm feeling anxious. So I'm, you know, I'm overwhelmed and I'm stressed and I'm working. I'm loving what I'm doing. So I'm on this high. And then when it all ends at the end of the month, I'm suddenly like not feeling great. And it's like, you know, it's just this, I always go back. It's like this industry is built on highs and lows. And you really don't appreciate the highs unless you have the lows. Uh And I think when you're in the moment, you feel like, oh, this is really bad. Am I ever going to get out of it? But you do. And you just have to enjoy the moment, take the time off, have time to reflect. Because that ultimately will help you become a better artist and a better business person when you learn to have that balance as well. So I want to touch on a topic, but I don't want to go into it yet. This idea of delegating, outsourcing. I think that's an important part of us making sure we're staying sane and taking care of our bodies as we build these empires, these brands, et cetera. So I'm going to come back to that. Um, But I wanted, you mentioned that you failed a couple of times and Mm -hmm. I I would love for you to share, you know, a time when you had that failure, how it made you feel and how you got out of it. Yeah. I think one of my earliest (laughs) 
memorable failures was actually one that taught me a lot. Um, when I was 17, I got signed by a photo agency in Milan. And the agent was great. He put his trust in me. He saw I was a young artist. He was becoming popular on social media. And he was like, you know, I want to come over and um, see how you shoot. So he flew over. I did a few shoots for him. He liked what he saw. Obviously, I was still kind of doing a lot of personal work at this point and selling fine art prints because I was a conceptual photographer, not fashion at the time. Um, He wanted... to kind of get me more into the commercial side of the industry, which kind of was at the same time that I was growing as a fashion photographer and and being interested in styling and themes and things like that. So I was growing as fashion. He started putting me out to the industry over in Milan. And there was a very large commercial client that he was like, right, this commercial client wants to work with you, but here's the test. I want you to come up with the budget. I'm gonna give you this much. You can delegate where you want that to go. And it's going to be printed in the magazine. And I was totally clueless. Like mm-hmm. he gave me this money. It's the first time 5,000 pounds had hit my bank account. You know, like being a young 17-year-old photographer, you're like it's Christmas all of a sudden. So it was very tempting to, you know, not use all that money because you're like, well, maybe I could save some for myself. But um, I used all of the budget and we did the shoot that was on location in the north of England, um, near to Scotland. And it was like, we went to one of the, sort of like a Home Depot, you know, you go and get all these doors. So we got all these DIY door frames and it was like, you know, the set was going to be the door to the other world and this furniture. And it was like these big fine art pieces. Well, you know, little did I know that we just didn't have the budget to make it what I wanted it to be. And I should have really seen that from the get go. So I did it all on a budget and it definitely looked like it would was done on a budget. Um, but you know what? They didn't end up featuring the story. It was okay. They were fine with it. I was happy that the client wasn't mad. They, you know, respected my time. They paid for the shoot. So what I learned from the project is to treat every commercial brief based on what my client's needs are and, and, and understand the scope of the project. And I think Every commercial job that came in from that point on, I would sit down and first of all, realize if it was realistic with the budget I was given and understand where to put the right person in their place. So have the most supportive assistance on set. So I'm just focusing on the creative, make sure I plan my line and setups ahead of time, make sure, you know, I go back and forth with the client a few times, bring up any issues and, you know, from the get go rather than jumping into the project all excited and then later on realizing I didn't have what was needed mm. to create the project. So that was one of my early, early failures that I'll always remember, but not for the failure aspect. I mean, the failure did teach me a lot, but more because if I didn't have that experience and everything went well from my first ever commercial job, I would never know what it was to like, you know, fail in that aspect and learn from it. Mm-hmm. So I treat every failure as a learning curve. And um, I think if we all did that more, we would be in a better place as photographers. Yeah. And entrepreneurs, mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah. Do you do, uh, do you do any post-mortems? Like, do you kind of, when, when, once the, the sting's gone a little bit, do you kind of sit down and say, well, what can I learn from this? Do you, do you talk with people that maybe a part of it that could give you candid feedback? Any of that oh, part of your learning? I'm a talker. 
Like I have to talk through my problems, whether that's my husband, my mom on the phone in England, um, good friends of mine who were colleagues in the industry, my hair people, makeup people, whether they were on the job with me or whether they weren't, you know, they get me, they understand me. So I like to talk through my problems and try to figure out. And a good, um, a good friend of mine always says, you have to look at, you know, the, the problem was created, but you have to look within yourself what you could have done to make it better. Like, why did it get to that point? Or how do you think you could, could have done better? So even though you don't want to think sometimes it's your fault, maybe initially it wasn't, you always have to think, what could I do better? How could I change that next time? How could I have educated the client at the start of the day that perhaps they needed those images exported in a certain way? So that's why they were mad at the end of the shoot because I didn't properly execute what they needed at the start of the day. Perhaps it was a budget issue from the beginning and the client was mad that we had to add extra equipment on. Those are things that I need to check at the start of the day. What can we add onto the equipment list? What can't we? So I have to always reflect and the way of doing that is talking. Some people don't like to talk about, you know, their issues, issues or failures. But I would say that having a network of creatives that you can trust and you can talk to really helps you get out of those slums of not feeling creative, not feeling good enough in business. So, yeah, and I like that you called it a postmortem. I've never heard of that before. <laughs> that's, that's my corporate background. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> So you, so you up, learn something new every day. That's right. You're learning. Yeah. <laughs> this is a pain. This is a unpainful learning. Yes. You're welcome. <laughs> so you brought up uh, uh, this network of creatives. And I think that that kind of jumps into this, this area of what I would call the hustle, right? It's, it's the networking, it's the business. Um, when you think of the hustle, what are the, I'm sure there are many, but like, what are the top three things that consist of what you would call the hustle? The hustle comes in lots of forms. I would say the main thing is the reach out, the cold calling, as we call it, the mm -hmm. updating clients with our new work, um, making clients aware of our work or making clients aware of our new work are two of the ways, not being afraid to cold call, um, social media and keeping up with that. Because although social doesn't directly get me my target clients, because I'm not going after those specific people where, you know, we're reaching out to a sea of people on social media. I don't make it my top hustle, but I make sure my work is updated, make sure, you know, I'm engaging with my audience. That's the second part of the hustle. The third is engaging people in person. So as many face-to-face -face meetings as I can, I will push for because I feel like, you know, we're in a world of where everything's digital, we're sending links. Here's my work, here's my updated work. It doesn't feel like it's coming from a real person. Mm -hmm. So I often find that when I have a face-to-face -face meeting, I'm like 80% more likely to book that job after because they know my personality. They know that I'm not going to be a nightmare to work with on set because this is how I am mm -hmm. all the time. You know, I'm pretty easy going, I'm pretty chill. Um, and that, you know, the work that I'm showing them is, you know, this is who created it. It's not just this person sending me this email in line. Like I'm telling them my story in person. And I think that grabs their attention too. So yeah, there's, I mean, there's many ways of hustling as an artist. I think those three are the main areas that I focus on. Is there, um, who, who have you learned from to, to, you know, the art of cold calling? Where, where have you learned that? That's not something. Photo agents. <laughs> photo agents. I've had, um, I've had relationships with, I'm, I'm still with a photo agency here in New York. Um, 
the days of photo agents doing everything for you is not there anymore. They're part of the marketing aspect. They're there to help manage um, contracts and things like that, especially when you're a busy photographer. But the marketing effort is still a 50-50 effort. And over the years of working with agents, I have seen the way that they reach out to people. I have seen the way that they, you know, introduce, find contacts, build the industry contact database, as I call it. So you have a database of contacts. And I've seen, you know, the, the marketing spectrum of how they put things together. And that changes every year how that works. You know, people used to accept portfolios in person. You know, you'd have a courier send it to the office. The ad agency would look through every month or there would be cards like physical cards you would send to the art buyer. That doesn't happen anymore. Everything's digital now. So now you need to stand out when you're sending a cold email. So, you know, it's, it's thinking about what's current, where things are going in five years um, and trying to do something unique when you're marketing as well. You know, it's an interesting topic. So one of the things that I've been playing with this, you're right, everything's digital. So mm -hmm. how do you stand out? And there's, you know, people talk like, they talk about when, when, when others zig, you zag. Yeah. And in the past, I would think, oh, that's really hard. I have to come up with these really innovative, I have to be a visionary to stand out. But I would say you don't. What's cool is it's like fashion. Mm -hmm. You know, fashion's cyclical. Like, yeah. like there's so many... Um, 80s themed fashion right now oh yeah which is right. not my favorite but yeah right. I hear you. <laughs> yeah. yeah but and it's it's this is like the, you know it's come around again and again yes. and grunge has come around um mm -hmm. so my point is if everyone's digital you could stand up by not being digital so whether that's in person or a handwritten note that yeah. arrives on someone's desk because now they're not getting letters yes and these are simple things we don't have to like boil the ocean just because everything's for the most part, no one's reinventing things yeah. unless you're Elon Musk or you know Jeff Bezos, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, I love that. I love that. And and I'll and I'll I'll put it. Everything you just shared is how I would articulate that too. Is whether you're a photographer and you're learning from agencies, or you're a painter and maybe you're learning from brokers. It sounds like what you did really well is you're learning from the the connectors in your industry yes, the people that absolutely. have their hands in lots of pots or producers or you know mm -hmm. anyone that like even creative directors who create the briefs that send to me like the treatments before a job i learned how to build a treatment and pitch to a client from them because right. i pay attention to everything that comes my way and i'm like how did they do that how did they get to that point to that point to sell that idea as a magazine to the advertiser. Right. So you're, you're right. It's all the connectors. Gosh, you guys, anyone listening to this, I just, I have to share with you, like just watching Laura talk about this, you know, she's obviously very confident in her abilities, uh, but she's been doing this from day one. And I just encourage you <laughs> just get out there and get uncomfortable. This is how we learn. I mean, there was a corporate shoot that I, I, <laughs> I literally went to the consumer electronics show CES in Las Vegas. I think there were 100,000 people, 200,000 people. It's the largest electronic shows in the state, in the States. So I went to this thing and I'm just walking around like, what do you do? And mind you, I've not shot any corporate stuff outside of like fashion. Like I haven't done any like actual um, like device photography. Yeah. And I'm walking around like, what do you do? Like, oh, I'm a brand photographer. 
<laughs> and, and I literally, I got all these connections and I, and there's, there's just one company out of Southern California called Narbox and they create these really cool, um, basically mobile hard drives that you can download and edit on the fly instead of having to worry about your computer. Yeah. And so my point is me connecting with them and basically kind of like saying, Hey, let me do a shoot for your product. Yeah. It forced me to get um, a creative team behind me to come up with, you know, uh, a vision board and all that stuff and a, a creative treatment. Yeah. And I would not have known what any of that was if I hadn't stepped into that place. that was really, really uncomfortable. It's and it's hard, especially if you're not confident. Like I start, I didn't start out confident. For right. me to put myself in a position of speaking on a stage or putting myself out there to speak is not my natural personality. That's come through experience and confidence. I used to be the girl that went to school, and if I'd know what day reading day was on, they'd be like, "Right, Thursday is going to be reading in front of the class." Mm-hmm. I would say to my mom, "I felt sick that morning, and I refused to go to school because." I was so afraid of putting myself out there in front of anyone that I remember my first ever talk that my friend at Canon UK, who I was introduced by another photographer, was like, I believe in what you do. I, w- I want you to go up on the stage at this London trade show. It was two, early 2000s, 2010, 11, something like that. And he said, I want you to get up there and talk about your work. Like you talk about your work to me. I was like, oh God, I remember getting up there. I had my friend, Oscar, who was helping me out, had a big clock and he sat in the corner so I could see what the timing was. <laughs> I sat up on the podium with notes, everything written out of how I was going to say it. Yeah. I hid behind the podium <laughs> and I just looked like, I, like fear was on my face the entire time. And from that moment of putting myself in an uncomfortable position, I was able to do it again and a little bit better and again, mm. a little bit better. And that's like anything. Just got to put yourself out there. Like the, I think a lot of people say, think about fashion photography or commercial photography is, oh my God, I could not imagine myself on set with 10 people standing behind me, judging what is on the screen, telling me what to do. How yeah. do I command a set? Well, the more you do it, the more it just becomes like, you know, you've been doing this forever. I still feel a sense of anxiety, again, just because I want to do a great job every time I shoot. I don't want to do a bad job. You know, you're only as good as the last job you do. So for me to get to set is like, you know, you get that nervousness and you get there and you all of a sudden it clicks. You know what you're doing. You know how to command the set. People want you there for a reason and you become this almost different person. Yeah. I always switch to like this different persona. And I think anyone out there who is a photographer and a little bit afraid of taking that next step, just remember that not all of us came from a confident background. Some of us have had to overcome that part to get to where we are. At, at what point in your career did you feel confident enough to, to start educating others? Um, that was a few years of being in the commercial industry. I felt like I had a lot to teach um, just because social media was a big helper, especially when I started, get me that initial contact with the agency. Um, I'd started to work on set. I knew how to you know, work from a brief. I knew how to gain a social presence. Um, and I started to understand a lot about the fashion industry in the mm-hmm. current time. So a lot of people that were educating, there was not a lot of workshops. There was not a lot of photographers that were teaching at that time. And I felt frustrated when I was younger because there was nothing like that out there. And I started to get people that would just see me on set, people online, can you teach me 
how to do what you do. And I'd be like, I'm not sure what I have to offer. But the more and more I thought about it, the more I broke it down, I felt like actually I do have a lot to offer here. I can teach them what I know about this current industry, not how it was 10 years ago that's Mm -hmm. been taught in colleges, universities, very old fashioned methods. I'm teaching them how to be successful in today's age. And the more I taught, the more enjoyment I got out of it. I've actually become friends with a few of my students who are very good friends today. Um, and I learn a lot. You know, the, I do a few workshops a year. Every kind of group of students I get, I learn from because I'm conversing with them and I'm going over those techniques in my own head and it reminds me of things. And every student I meet, they teach me something about their work or a technique that refreshes my mind. So I think, you know, as a creative, you're like a sponge. You're taking in information from everyone around you and to see the excitement they have. If I do a workshop after a crappy month of work and, you know, I've had 10 options fall through. I've had two jobs this month that have been great, but great. I would have loved to have the 10. And I do a workshop. All of a sudden, I feel this sense of, you know, achievement and, and happiness that, you know, they're excited because they've just got their first editorial. And you, I'm like, I remember when I felt like that, wow. you know, I am lucky to be doing what I'm doing. So yes, there's a side of it that's business. Yes, there's a side of it that's revenue. But to me, again, I was, I said to you earlier, being British, I can't just, I'm very honest about how it is. When I do workshops, it's not about, it's not all about the money. It's about, what I'm getting from those people that I'm seeing their success and I'm hearing their stories. And I think if you ask anyone after a workshop, how they're feeling, they'd probably say the same thing that they're feeling, you know, this sense of community as well. And I think that's why a lot of people join workshops. You, this is, I don't want to like skip over this because you've mentioned this a couple of times. You are doing a really good job of when you have these moments of where that can bring us down emotionally, yeah. you zag to something that brings you up. You talked about yes. early in your career where you had that, that failure with the, you know, going over or going within budget, but it didn't, it didn't get pu- uh, published. And then you like took some time and you did some personal work just to kind of mm-hmm. practice and get the energy up. And here's another great example that you just shared. I think that's really powerful. It's in there. We don't have to, um, it's a good way of accepting, uh, acknowledging the feelings mm-hmm. like, Oh, this, this is a kind of a shitty month. Yeah. But, uh, what is something that I can do to get me out of that? You know, a lot, a lot of the people that I follow, they're, they're, they're doing that every day. You know, how, what can I do with my body, <laughs> yes. with, with my focus, with my words to change my mental state? So you're just, it sounds like you're just naturally doing that. I mean, I will admit like this morning, yes, Monday. Who doesn't feel like that when they wake up on Monday after having the weekend? And I'm feeling a sense of you know, sluggishness. I've got myself to my coffee shop. I've opened my emails. I'm trying to plan shoots, but mm. I don't have the energy to market because my mind isn't there. So what can I do to get myself to that place? So you start planning, okay, I'll start planning the personal project that's going to get me excited to give me back that energy. Love that. I may go out. I asked a friend just a minute ago, well, before our call, if she wanted to grab a coffee later, because I know having the conversation with her and bouncing back ideas will give me that energy tomorrow to wake up tomorrow with that sense of excitement. And sometimes all it takes is one or two emails to come back that give you an opportunity that you're like, right, I'm on something here. Now I'm starting, you know, a friend is like when you're 
email and it's like fishing for clients. And when you fish a client, you get this excitement to go out the next day and fish for a few more because it's giving you something back. But you know, it's, it's always, I think when you're an artist, even though it's business, it's personal, right? Like you feel like I, I know I give a hundred percent whenever I do a job with my marketing, I give a hundred percent every project. And it's the same. If I delegate that day, it's going to be email day. I will send 300 emails that day. And if I only get back 10 replies and they're like, thanks, but no thanks in a nice way. And I get one job from that. I might be feeling a bit, uh, what's the point, you know? And the next day I may get an opportunity from that day of emailing. And then I'm like, right, you know, I'm excited to get back at it. And I think, you know, I know we kind of talked about this earlier, but bringing it back to it's a roller coaster journey. You've got the highs, you've got the lows, and you've got to make it your priority to turn that crappy day into something positive. You know, at the end of the day, what it comes to is we're all doing something we love, and we're lucky enough to be doing something we love. You know, we could be in a nine to five job that we hate. And luckily, I've never had to do that. And, you know, I started doing what I do at 14. And I go back to that and think, how did I feel as a young artist in this industry? And then I'm lucky to be doing what I'm doing now. So yeah, it's normal to have those feelings. And I want people watching this, hearing this, to remember that it's normal to have those feelings. We all go through that. Yeah. But reframing it and being, being yeah. grateful. There's always something to be grateful for. You, you, you just mentioned how much effort you put into things. And that reminds me... Um, your your business of fashion series i think this is a great example of you creating something that is packed so full of content like really really powerful stuff no one's talking about running a business no one <laughs> <laughs> it's like like we and that's the reason i you know i share this with you but the reason i started this podcast is you know all these artists that i know are like very very small percentage five percent are actually looking at the business and they're the ones that are thriving so I want to talk a little bit about that. I know there's so much stuff in that series, but if you were to kind of distill it out, what, what, are, you, what are you the most proud of? What do you think is the most um, powerful content within that series? Um, there's a few areas. When I sat down to plan the content out, which was a good three solid months of planning it out, I always said I wanted to do a course on business, but I never felt ready to do it. And it wasn't until I did the first series, the fashion series, that I got a lot of requests for business. And I was like, okay, it's time mm -hmm. to do something. You know, no one else is doing anything like this. Why? Why are they not doing anything like that? And I realized it's because that people have an insecurity, especially in commercial photography, to talk about things we don't want to hear. And not everything can be explained very clearly because of how quickly the industry changes. So I sat down and, and figured out a plan and the three main topics I think were really helpful to people out there were pricing your work, which everybody is confused about, um, getting your work published, and also marketing your work and the ways in which we market towards our target client. So those are the three topics I think that I'm really proud of in the course because I feel like it's not easy to explain um, but I sat down and figured out a way that was kind of bite-sized chunks that kind of broken it down very clearly mm -hmm. into how they can do that. And even though some of it is very obvious, like showing them how to write an email, a cold call email, showing them, you know, how to reach out to their target client, showing them how to figure out who that was, how to identify them for themselves, 
pricing structures and how to find out, you know, a, a wage in which is kind of right for anyone in this industry working, like how to find out your cost of doing business, how to find out how to create a commercial rate, rates in which people are being paid. So, you know, no one talks about the fact that editorial, you could be paying out of pocket, you could get a little fee, you could get a good fee from. No one talks about when to work for free and why. You know, as soon as you say, you say to someone, I work for free on this job, they're like, well, you would never do that in any other industry. But it's just the way it's always worked. You know, big photographers I admire, they work for free or out of pocket for major editorial stories because that is the gateway into getting certain commercial clients. But for some reason, no one ever talks about that. And when I started, you know, I went to, um, I never got into university, the university I wanted to get into long story short, um, a prestigious uh, college in London, um, I didn't get accepted to. So I ended up going to university close to home in England, not being very happy, leaving in my second year. But I remember the first thing the university that I wanted to go to told me in the open day was, if you want to be a fashion photographer, you can come join our course. This person joined um, our course in this year, and they make 50,000 a shoot, 50,000 pounds back then was a, a lot of money a shoot. too, a shoot, mm -hmm. and you could be earning this much a year, and you could be so busy, and this is one of the, you know, most sought after jobs, and you know, everyone in the room, like their ears pricked up, and they were like, wow, and you could see the parents were like, you've got to do this job, you wanted to be a lawyer, now you're being a fashion photographer, <laughs> and, my, <laughs> and my dad was like, okay, all right. He, you know, he leaned in and he was like, okay, let's hear more about this. But the reality was not that when I got into the industry as a young artist, I was sorely disappointed. It was like, okay, we've got 1000 in for this shoot for this ad agency, but it really is, you know, you're not going to get that money unless you're the top 20 photographers in the world. You know, have I ever received that money for a campaign? Yes, I have little short of that for a major commercial campaign, but I might get one of those once a year, one every two years, the rest of the jobs per year could be a 10th of that mm. per the rate. But ultimately you're going to receive as much money as you kind of, you know, the, the more you put yourself out there, the more you're going to gain from. Yes, you can earn six figures a year as a fashion photographer, but treat it as a nine to five every day, you'll start to see that revenue. But yeah. if you wait for that work to come for you, you may get one job a month, you may get 10 jobs a year, and you're only going to get two to three K a job for that, you know, for that year. So when people ask me, is this a profitable business? Yes. Is it highly saturated yes but so is every other job so is being an actor so is being a dancer so is being any creative out there but it's what you put into it that you're going to get back from so i hope that answer i know i always do the long <laughs> long answers no, for everything but sometimes it's easy just to talk it out and explain yeah do, do would you mind sharing you talked about sometimes doing commercial work for free yes um that's something that i historically shy away from as well and uh, I, I would love if you kind of share a time where you had to do that and, and the, the benefit that that resulted in. Yeah. I mean, there's always going to people going to be clients out there that want something for free. But what I always weigh up is what's the purpose and the benefit to me? Is that client going to get me one step on the ladder closer to my dream client? So when I started out, and I'm talking more about when you're starting out and perhaps it's a brand that doesn't have a lot of marketing budget. 
but they'll pay the expenses, but they don't have a big enough fee to really pay you. Or maybe you take a little bit out of the all-in budget. So I did that initially with my first agent in Milan. And I would work for free for some of the ad agencies to test my talent. I see. Because I was younger, because they wanted to test me out. Um, I would say that now, if a client comes to me and they don't have money for a budget, it doesn't work for me because it's not going to get me to my target client. Editorials, I would do for free if it's an international major magazine. And they say, we'd like for you to do the shoot, but we have $1,000 all in, or we don't have any budget because we're, you know, we're an independently run magazine. We don't really take a profit or the profit just covers the expenses. So what I always say to people is magazines run on advertising budget. If they don't have advertisers, they're not making a profit. So if there's any magazines that you're going to be working for, especially when you're starting out, they're independently run, most likely don't have a budget, comparison to the larger kind of titles that are run by advertising budgets. So yeah, there's sometimes where I'll have a bigger magazine reach out, but they're more independently run. And I will mm -hmm. do the work for free. I will spend the money. You know, some major photographers out there are known for spending a few thousand dollars on an editorial because A, they get the control over the shoot. They get a creative project for their books they're proud of. And it also perhaps gets them closer to their dream clients. So if they want to work for a major Vogue, they have to work for more independently run Vogue in a different country mm -hmm. to climb the ladder to get to that point. And that's something you always have to think about. If someone's coming to you with that offer, how is it going to get you one step closer? And remembering that editorial work is going to get you that commercial work because you always need an excuse to reach out and update your clients on new work. If your book just consists of commercial work, it's going to look like 20 other photographers shot it. It's not going to look consistent because it's not your personal idea. It might not be your lighting, but you've been chosen for the posing. It mm. might not be your choice of model. You know, every, every photographer has like a specific type of model they like shooting. And I know that's something people pick up in my work. I love the models that you cast for the work. Can you be a part of the casting for the job? So that's another skill that they see in my book. So really also it comes down to editorial allows you to show your skill as a photographer and be proud of the work that you're putting out there. Beautiful. I love it. It's forcing functions to continually learn, put yourself in potentially yes. uncomfortable positions, but with yes. a very clear, you've talked about this a couple of times. So anyone listening to this, who's a photographer by this course, um, it's stupid cheap for the, the quality <laughs> that's in it. Uh, but that idea of identifying the target, that's the most important thing, right? You're yes. identifying that target customer and then you're taking steps to get there. Yeah. Otherwise, I mean, you're wasting your time reaching out to everyone. Not right. everyone's your customer. Not everyone's going to like your work. I know it's hard to say, but you really got to identify the main target clients and how you're going to reach out to them, whether they're a, a yearly goal or maybe they're five years from now. I want to be in this magazine. It's okay to have big dreams as long as you have a plan to reach out to them. Yeah. So I'm curious, who are some um some successful folks could be artists that you are inspired by well there's quite a few different people for different reasons i would say i love tim walker's work because you know he always just beautiful visual shoots that 
you know, I wish were kind of part of the industry today because I miss that style of like beautiful fashion photography with huge sets. Um, and mm. I'm hoping he does more soon. T Tim Walker is amazing. Um, Stephen Mizell, just, I love the versatility in his work. Like the way he's able to control like a simple set versus a large set, the different types of people he shoots. I can always tell a photograph is his. And also Patrick Dimashilier who is just amazing at capturing beauty and also you know again i can always tell it's his work um and ellen von onworth who is a female photographer and kind of owns that space of you know women empowerment too all of them i admire because they're good with business and you know i the way they've got themselves into the industry is just kind of inspiring as well to me but yeah there's just so many people out there. You know, there's a, a lot of friends of mine who are just inspiring for, you know, being who they are and kind of pushing me forward as an artist. So it doesn't have to be hugely known people, but, you know, be inspired by the network around you and allow them to push you as well. You know, my assistants inspire me to kind of try something new sometimes like, Hey, Lara, we've done this setup like five times. How about we push something new today? Mm. You know, I'm, I'm always open. I'm an open book when it comes to, my friends and, and mentors pushing me and trying to help me get to the next level. You like to be, I'm not going to say uncomfortable, but you, you like the challenge. You like to learn. Yes. It's I like the challenge. And then when I'm in the challenge, I'm like, why did I get myself? <laughs> <laughs> but yes, ch being challenged is a good thing because it's got me to great places. So the more I'm challenged, the better. Gosh, this has been um, just, just great to spend time with you. I really appreciate you joining the podcast today and sharing. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. It's been great chatting. Yeah. Well, I want people to be able to find you. Um, what's the best way for them to find you, Laura? Um, on Instagram is the best place. It's where all the kids are at nowadays. So that will be the handle is Lara Jade Photography. And also on Facebook, you can find me as Lara Jade. And there's oh, and my, my website too. Of course, if you want to see my work and you're not familiar with my work, it's just larajade.com. Stunning. And then they can find links to the business of fashion photography, the series. Yes. The business of fashion photography um, can be found under larajadebusiness.com and you can find all of the content on there. Awesome. All right. You rock. Have a great one. All right. Thank you so much. Have a good day. Hey, thanks so much for listening today. Listen, I truly hope you got something out of this episode that you can implement in your life or business immediately. But before you go, I've got one ask of you, and that's to please subscribe and rate this podcast. Help me help other creative entrepreneurs like you and I. And here's the deal. When you leave your rating, you'll win a 15-minute free consultative meeting with me to talk specifically about your business. Just send me an email with an image or a screenshot of your rating, and we'll schedule the time. Thanks again, you rock.